Part 3 of The Apology of Socrates by Plato in the translation of Benjamin Jowett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Father Ziley of Detroit, Michigan, June 2007. Part 3 of the Apology of Socrates by Plato, in the translation by Benjamin Jowett. Men of Athens, do not interrupt, but hear me. There was an agreement between us that you should hear me out, and I think that what I am going to say will do you good, for I have something more to say at which you may be inclined to cry out, but I beg that you will not do this. I would have you know that, if you kill such a one as I am, you will injure yourselves more than you will injure me. Miletus and Anitus will not injure me, they cannot, for it is not in the nature of things that a bad man should injure a better than himself. I do not deny that he may perhaps kill him, or drive him into exile, or deprive him of civil rights, and he may imagine, and others may imagine, that he is doing him a great injury. But in that I do not agree with him, for the evil of doing as Anatus is doing, of unjustly taking away another man's life, is greater far. And now, Athenians, I am not going to argue for my own sake, as you may think, but for yours, that you may not sin against the God, or lightly reject his boon by condemning me. For if you kill me, you will not easily find another like me, who, if I may use such a ludicrous figure of speech, am a sort of gadfly, given to the state by the god. And the state is like a great and noble steed, who is tardy in his motions owing to his very size, and requires to be stirred into life. I am that gadfly which God has given the state, and all day long, and in all places, am always fasting upon you, arousing and persuading and reproaching you. And as you will not easily find another like me, I would advise you to spare me. I dare say that you may feel irritated at being suddenly awakened when you are caught napping, and you may think that if you were to strike me dead as Anatus advises, which you easily might, then you would sleep on for the remainder of your lives, unless God in his care of you gives you another gadfly. And that I am given to you by God is proved by this, that if I had been like other men, I should not have neglected all my own concerns, or patiently seen the neglect of them during all these years, and have been doing yours, coming to you individually, like a father or elder brother, exhorting you to regard virtue. This, I say, would not be like human nature. And had I gained anything, or if my exhortations had been paid, there would have been some sense in that. But now, as you will perceive, not even the impudence of my accusers dares to say that I have ever exacted or sought any pay of anyone. They have no witnesses of that. And I have a witness of the truth of what I say. My poverty is a sufficient witness. Someone may wonder why I go about in private giving advice and busying myself with the concerns of others, but do not venture to come forward in public and advise the state. I will tell you the reason of this. You have often heard me speak of an oracle or sign which comes to me, 
and is the divinity which Miletus ridicules in the indictment. This sign I have had ever since I was a child. The sign is a voice which comes to me, and always forbids me to do something which I am going to do, but never commands me to do anything, and this is what stands in the way of my being a politician. And rightly, as I think. For I am certain, O men of Athens, that if I had engaged in politics, I should have perished long ago, and done no good either to you or to myself. And don't be offended at my telling you the truth, for the truth is that no man who goes to war with you, or any other multitude, honestly struggling against the commission of unrighteousness and wrong in the state, will save his life. He who will really fight for the right, if he would live even for a little while, must have a private station and not a public one. I can give you as proofs of this not words only, but deeds which you value more than words. Let me tell you a passage of my own life which will prove to you that I should never have yielded to injustice from any fear of death, and that if I had not yielded I would have died at once. I will tell you a story, tasteless perhaps and commonplace, but nevertheless true. The only office of state which I ever held, O men of Athens, was that of senator. The tribe Antiochus, which is my tribe, had the presidency at the trial of the generals who had not taken up the bodies of the slain after the battle of Arganesai, and you proposed to try them all together, which was illegal, as you all thought afterwards. But at the time I was the only one of the Ritanes who was opposed to the illegality, and I gave my vote against you. And when the orators threatened to impeach and arrest me, and have me taken away, and you called and shouted, I made up my mind that I would run the risk, having law and justice with me, rather than take part in your injustice, because I feared imprisonment and death. This happened in the days of the democracy. But when the oligarchy of the Thirty was in power, they sent for me and four others into the Rotunda, and bade us bring Leon Salaminian from Salamis, as they wanted to execute him. This was a specimen of the sort of commands which they were always giving, with the view of implicating as many as possible in their crimes. And then I showed, not in words only, but in deed, that, if I may be allowed to use such an expression, I cared not a straw for death, and that my only fear was the fear of doing an unrighteous or unholy thing. For the strong arm of that oppressive power did not frighten me into doing wrong. And when we came out of the rotunda, the other four went to Salamis and fetched Leon, but I went quietly home, for which I might have lost my life, had not the power of the thirty shortly afterwards come to an end. And to this many will witness. Now do you really imagine that I could have survived all these years if I had led a public life, supposing that like a good man, I had always supported the right, and had made justice as I ought the first thing? No, indeed, men of Athens, neither I nor any other. But I have been always the same in all my actions, public as well as private, and never have I yielded any base compliance to those who are slanderously termed my disciples, or to any other. For the truth is that I have no regular disciples." But if any one likes to come and hear me while I am pursuing my mission, whether he be young or old, he may freely come. Nor do I converse with those who pay only, and not with those who do not pay. But any one, 
whether he be rich or poor, may ask and answer me and listen to my words, and whether he turns out to be a bad man or a good one, that cannot be justly laid to my charge, as I never taught him anything. And if anyone says that he has ever learned or heard anything from me in private, which all the world has not heard, I should like you to know that he is speaking an untruth. But I shall be asked, why do people delight in continually conversing with you? I have told you already, Athenians, the whole truth about this. They like to hear the cross-examination of the pretenders to wisdom. There is amusement in this. And this is a duty which the God has imposed upon me, as I am assured by oracles, visions, and in every sort of way in which the will of divine power was ever signified to any one. This is true, O Athenians, or if not true, would be soon refuted. For if I am really corrupting the youth, and have corrupted some of them already, those of them who have grown up and have become sensible that I gave them bad advice in the days of their youth should come forward as accusers and take their revenge. And if they do not like to come themselves, some of their relatives, fathers, brothers, or other kinsmen should say what evil their families suffered at my hands. Now is their time. Many of them I see in the court. There is Crito, who is of the same age and the same deem with myself. And there is Critobulus, his son, whom I also see. Then again there is Lysanias, Aspetus, who is the father of Eschines. He is present. And also there is Antiphon of Sisyphus, who is the father of Epignes. And there are the brothers of several who have associated with me. There is Nicostratus, the son of Theos Dotidides, and the brother of Theodotus. Now Theodotus himself is dead, and therefore he at any rate will not seek to stop him. And there is Paralus, the son of Demodocus, who had a brother, Theages, and Adimantus, the son of Ariston, whose brother Plato is present, and Aeontodorus, who is the brother of Apollodorus, whom I also see. I might mention a great many others, any of whom Miletus should have produced as witnesses in the course of his speech, and let him still produce them, if he has forgotten. I will make way for him, and let him say, if he has any testimony of the sort which he can produce. Nay, Athenians, the very opposite is the truth, for all these are ready to witness on behalf of the corrupter, of the destroyer of their kindred, as Miletus and Anatus call me, not the corrupted youth only. There might have been a motive for that, but their uncorrupted elder relatives. Why would they too support me with their testimony? Why indeed, except for the sake of truth and justice, and because they know that I am speaking the truth, and that Miletus is lying. Well, Athenians, this and the like of this is nearly all the defense which I have to offer. Yet a word more. Perhaps there may be someone who is offended at me when he calls to mind how he himself, on a similar or even a less serious occasion, had recourse to prayers and supplications with many tears, and how he produced his children in court, which was a moving spectacle, together with a posse of his relations and friends. Whereas I, who am probably in danger of my life, will do none of these things. Perhaps this may come into his mind, and he may be set against me, and vote in anger because he is displeased at this. Now if there be such a person among you, which I am far from affirming, I may fairly reply to him, My friend, 
I am a man, and like other men, a creature of flesh and blood, and not of wood or stone, as Homer says. And I have a family, yes, and sons, O Athenians, three in number, one of whom is growing up, and the two others are still young, and yet I will not bring any of them hither in order to petition you for an acquittal. And why not? Not from any self-will or disregard of you. Whether I am or am not afraid of death is another question, of which I will not now speak. But my reason simply is that I feel such conduct to be discreditable to myself and you and the whole state. One who has reached my years and who has a name for wisdom, whether deserved or not, ought not to debase himself. At any rate, the world has decided that Socrates is in some way superior to other men. And if those among you who are said to be superior in wisdom and courage and in any other virtue demean themselves in this way, how shameful is their conduct. I have seen men of reputation, when they have been condemned, behaving in the strangest manner. They seemed to fancy that they were going to suffer something dreadful if they died, and that they could be immortal if you only allowed them to live. And I think that they were a dishonor to the state, and that any stranger coming in would say of them, that the most eminent men of Athens, to whom the Athenians themselves give honor and command, are no better than women. And I say that these things ought not to be done by those of us who are of reputation. And if they are done, you ought not to permit them. You ought rather to show that you are more inclined to condemn not the man who is quiet, but the man who gets up a doleful scene and makes the city ridiculous. But setting aside the question of dishonor, there seems to be something wrong in petitioning a judge and thus procuring an acquittal instead of informing and convincing him. For his duty is not to make a present of justice, but to give judgment. And he has sworn that he will judge according to the laws and not according to his own good pleasure. And neither he nor we should get into the habit of perjuring ourselves. There can be no piety in that. Do not then require me to do what I consider dishonorable and impious and wrong, especially now when I am being tried for impiety on the indictment of Miletus. For if, O men of Athens, by force of persuasion and entreaty, I could overpower your oaths, then I should be teaching you to believe that there are no gods, and convict myself in my own defense of not believing in them. But that is not the case, for I do believe that there are gods, and in a far higher sense than that in which any of my accusers believe in them. And to you and to God I commit my cause, to be determined by you as is best for you and me. End of Part 3 of the Apology of Socrates by Plato in the translation by Benjamin Jowett Recording by Father Ziley, Detroit, Michigan, 